Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. We have uh, so many people traveling the world right now. We just have John back from Israel, and he's had a good vacation. We've seen pictures of other people like uh, Kevin over in uh, Venice and uh, seeing the world and on their way to Israel. And then I turned to my staff in the summer going to Disneyland and then Paris. And it's like nobody wants to be here anymore. Everyone's just leaving and going exotic places. But home is a great place to be, isn't it? It's good to be back here and cozy and warm in this building while the snow just rages outside. Recording this uh, for those who did not make it and uh, so that they can catch up on this series as well. We are, have been looking at a series called uh, the, the uh, Illuminate, which is how Christ illuminates uh, so much and shows uh, the light of the world. We're working through 1 Corinthians and we're up to chapter 2 if you're in your Bibles now. You can find chapter 2. And one of the, the keys we've been looking at is how we can begin to understand this God that we worship and that we know. And this was one of the great mysteries as Paul ministered to the Greeks of his world in Corinth who had this idea that one knows the divine and the secret things through head knowledge as they begin to understand who he is. But what uh, Paul came to preach in Athens at Mars Hill was to know Jesus Christ. And really, that's what it all is about. And that's what I want to talk to you about today from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about who is this Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who have an opinions about who Jesus Christ is and what your opinion is on that shapes what you see, what you understand, and how you relate to God. We begin with a series saying that Jesus is the light of the world, and he is the light in the darkness. He is the key to understanding who God is. Understanding God's will in your life is found in Jesus Christ. So then, if Jesus Christ is the key, we must ask, who is he? Really, who is he? The key question to understanding everything, because many are confused about who Jesus Christ is. When he arrived on this earth and he began to preach in the power of God, he gave the good news and the gospel and he shared the love of God with other people. And everyone looked at him. They saw the miracles he performed. He heard the wonderful words that he said. They, they saw the love in his eyes and they all wondered who he was. And there was a great debate even as they looked upon him. And if they were confused... I can't really blame anyone here if you're confused about who this true nature and identity of Jesus Christ is. I've been chasing Jesus Christ my whole life. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor. I listened to my Sunday school teachers who told me about Jesus Christ. 
I listened to preachers who proclaimed his, his claim on my life and the world. I listened to professors, and they talked about the historical Jesus Christ and the cultural Jesus Christ and the literary Jesus Christ. I listened to TV evangelists talk about the wonder workings of Jesus Christ. I listened to scholars talking about the philosophical teachings of Jesus Christ. But I'm not going to talk about any of these versions of Jesus Christ today. Today, I only want to talk about Jesus Christ who is alive and he is living now and he's in our midst on this snowing morning right here with us today. He has defeated death and he walks amongst us now in his spirit. If we do this right, if we talk about this Jesus this morning and we listen carefully what the word has to say, what Paul is teaching us to say, we might just see him, we might just hear him, we might just even turn to him and be saved from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You got your Bibles? Whip them out. Here we go. I have mine well marked now to this spot. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That passage alone, a guy could preach on all week. There is so much crammed right into that few expressions. Paul recalls his first uh, visit to Corinth, and when he arrived there preaching the gospel on one of his early missionary journeys. He had come from Athens recently, and the story is found in Acts, where at Mars Hill, he was invited to share with a bunch of philosophers about Jesus Christ. And he talked about the death and the resurrection, this new teaching, and he looked and found one of the statues built to the unknown God amongst all the other gods they worship. And he said, I've come to tell you about the unknown God. And he preached and he quoted their philosophers and their poets, and he argued from their point of view. And a few were a little more curious about that, and they followed him and, and wanted to know even more of what he taught. But overall, he didn't have a great impact. And after that, when he arrives at Corinth, it's almost like he says in this passage, he says, I got this resolution, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I was in Athens. I tried the philosophical approach, the philosophical Jesus, and they didn't get it. So the only thing I'm going to do is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you find that throughout Paul's journeys. You know, uh, he wasn't well known for being a great speaker. He says in here, I didn't come with a lot of uh, persuasion or persuasive words and all that. In fact, I was kind of afraid when I stood in front of you. And if you've done public speaking and been afraid, if you don't know what it's like, you just come on up here and I'll show you what it's like. And then you'll know. Now you're nervous. Okay. So that's, Paul had a similar thing. He was a much more of a writer than he was a public speaker, but he was brave and courageous and he would stand up. And you'll find that 
Paul had to be courageous because usually the reaction to his preaching was stoning, <laughs> not rotten tomatoes, rocks, or being thrown out of the garbage heap, left for dead, and all these kinds of things. He was chased out of town by guys who he's wrecking the idol um, industry because people were turning away from idols, not buying them anymore. He had a lot of grief. He was arrested. He was thrown in jail. In fact, uh, Paul could expect a fairly negative reaction every time he opened his mouth. And there would be people going ahead of him saying, oh, let's get that troublemaker in trouble before he even gets there. Let's warn the synagogues and everything about it. He would go to the Jews and he would try to explain Jesus Christ from a messianic and the arrival of the Messiah and so on, and they still wouldn't receive it. He tried to explain it to the Greeks in philosophical terms, and they couldn't quite understand it. So when he arrived at Corinth, he said, I've resolved to check all that. What I'm going to do is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. You got a problem with that? He said, this is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we understand who he is. Not through philosophy, not through ancient histories or anything else. It is through the crucifixion. And that's how he came to preach. When we boil down the truth of the gospel to its core, right there we find Jesus Christ and the cross. And that's where everything changed. The cross of Christ is a shocking offense. And it is a stumbling block to a lot of people. And yet it is the secret to understanding who Christ is. The cross is the place of decision it is rejected or we repent before the Son of God, we must choose one or the other. Jesus, the Son of God, really did come to this earth over 2,000 years ago. It is an historical fact. He was tried by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was sentenced to death by the Romans. He was crucified by Roman soldiers. He was laid in the grave and sealed with a Roman seal. This is pretty much set history. It's not up for debate. If you debate that, you'll have to debate if there was a Napoleon, if there was a Caesar or anything else. Because there's more evidence for this than there is for any other historical event that you take as fact. It is a reality and something we're still talking about 2,000 years later. He was crucified upon the cross. Of this, there is no doubt. He went about and invited people to go beyond their religions and to enter into a living world of faith, and to walk by faith. And he searched and he looked for people who had faith rather than religion. Religion ones got really upset with him and they wanted him gone, they wanted him dead. But those who followed my faith followed him with all their hearts. He was a threat to religion and to politics. And that's why he was nailed to the cross by Romans and by the government of Rome. This actually happened, and it is a matter of history. Yet there was more going on in that historical event than anyone in that event realized. They were there, they saw it with their own eyes, but there is a whole other world that exists beyond what you can see with your own eyes. There is a spiritual world. And what you see with your eyes and what you touch with your hands, what you reason with your mind, is not all there is to existence in this room right now with us. Science now tells us your eyes can see a very limited range of light spectrum. Do you know that? 
you're actually quite blind. Because the wavelengths, if we have the next slide, I'll show you this to you, that you can see is very narrow. You see that little rainbow up there? That's amplified from a band of wavelengths that you see. And the actual wavelengths around you are far more than what you actually see with your eyes. And we know they're there. We use them in science like gamma rays and everything else. But you can't see them with your eyes. What you can see is very limited. Did you know that? There's a lot more going on around you than what your eyes can see. We know they're a reality. Your microwaves work on this stuff. It's all about you all the time. So here we are, we say, well, if I can't see it with my eyes, I won't believe in it. Balderdash. Science says there's plenty going on around you that you can't see with your eyes. In fact, we're very limited in what we conceive and perceive and understand. And science has opened up our eyes to understand a whole world around us that we had no idea was going on in there. And I would tell you, too, that faith opens you up to see a whole other world beyond science and around the spiritual world that is around you all the time as well, that you have no concept of and can't perceive all the time, but it's there and it's always working. This is a true story of all our sensory inputs like smell, touch, taste, and hearing. We are very limited in our ability to make contact with all that's going on around us and without uh, extended scientific equipment to do that. Even our minds are limited in what thoughts and ideas we can hold at any one time. So we've invented things that go beyond our minds. We've invented computers. How many of you got a phone? You keep all your notes on your phone because you can't remember where you're supposed to be and your phone goes beep, 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 be here by now, you know? You got that? I don't know how to get there. I look on the phone, it tells me where to go. Should I go to church today? The phone says, no, don't go to church today. There's a snowstorm. And sometimes you trust it, sometimes you don't, right? But you, we're using stuff all the time to go beyond the limits of her understanding. Despite all our science and all our machines that we have, we will not be able to comprehend the spiritual world around us and the realm unless we realize that we also have a spiritual nature. Although it is neglected and damaged and dysfunctional, each of us, have a spiritual nature within us. You're not just a body. You're not just a mind. You also have a spiritual nature. It's the hardest of hearts among us to admit that there is a spiritual realm and uh, that we can come into that realm and understand it and make contact with it. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, it was for a crime against the state because he was accused of claim of being a king in defiance of Rome. It was crimes about religion because he claimed to be God himself in human form. Death, by being nailed to a wooden cross, was meant to be proof that he was neither king nor God. It was the ultimate proof. See, he's nailed to the cross. He died. We put a spear in him. He was dead. He was neither king nor God. Yet there was something else going on in that moment when Christ was nailed to the cross that neither soldier nor priest understood. The government of religion, they missed it all together. If it were not for the Bible, you and I might have missed it all together too. And this event of Jesus Christ would have come and gone and changed 
not a great deal. This was God's plan. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross to defeat evil once and for all. It was his plan to set us free from the power of sin and to break the spiritual forces of evil in this world. The Bible helps us just like it helped you know, John the Apostle who was standing at the foot of the cross and watching Jesus on that cross. He heard Jesus say these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That John knew and understood what this was. And he wrote later in John 3.16, he wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John saw something no one else saw. He understood what was happening when no one else understood. He perceived what Isaiah was predicting, what the Old Testament was building up to, and when he looked at the cross... He saw something very different. The cross is God's answer to our many complaints. Do you complain? Any grumblers here? The cross is the beginning of the end of the horrors of sin and evil in this world. The cross is God's answer to that. The cross is the place where we stop putting ourselves first and we make Jesus Christ king of our lives. The cross is the only door by which we can be born again and enter into a spiritual world, not as a dying human, but as an eternal child of God. This is not religion, but a spiritual encounter through faith in Jesus Christ. The cross will save you or cause you to stumble and fall. It's going to do one or the other. That is why we preach the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified upon it. None of us can really comprehend the true importance of the cross unless our spiritual eyes are opened. This is not done with clever words or with arguments, as Paul says, but it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I tell you about the cross right now, we all know in our hearts that what I am telling you is true. You might not like it. You might have arguments against it. It might make you feel uncomfortable, but there is another thing present there that says it's true. It's always true. I have shared the gospel with a lot of people, and I no longer feel the need to persuade anyone about the truth because I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is already doing that. And the more I share the Christ with other people and the more they object to it, the more I know the Holy Spirit's doing his work. Or else they wouldn't be objecting so hard. I've seen hardened men turn soft because of the power of the gospel and of the work of the Holy Spirit. All I have to do is proclaim it. All I have to do is talk about Jesus Christ. And the whole room changes. You ever try that? I suggest you do that. I've worked in places where people swear a blue streak. All they know about Jesus Christ is every other word they say his name because they're mad about something. And when I start talking about Jesus Christ, it sounds very different. Well, if they're free to talk about Jesus Christ, surely I am too, right? Now I'll talk about how amazing Jesus Christ is and what he did for us on the cross, how he's my Lord and Savior, and suddenly they're not talking about Jesus Christ anymore. 
they're starting to drop it as a subject. And the more I talk about the claim of God and the power to set us free, the more awkward they feel and the room has changed. When I walk into a room after people know I do that, they start apologizing for me just for existing. You know, oh, I'm sorry. You're so holy. I'm so sinful. One of my favorite things is to be invited to a party or an event, and I ask the host never to introduce me as a pastor. Just let me be me, John. And then throughout the evening, uh, people tell their jokes and their stories, and then later to the, the end, they discover I'm a minister. And I watch them all do life review for a minute <laughs> as they try to recall what they confessed to me. It's a hilarious moment. When Jesus, when all you have to do is talk about Jesus, and it comes with the power of God, whether you know it or not, it's there in their hearts, speaking to them, convicting, changing. It's the, same, it's the easiest thing in all the world to do. Just talk about Jesus and what he did on the cross. The Holy Spirit will show up and do all the work that needs to be done. And this is why we preach about Jesus Christ. This is why we talk about him. This is why we share Jesus. I grew up in the Church of God movement, and we had a saying from the very beginning, uh, we don't invite people to church. We invite them to the cross. And we said, we'll meet you there. Come to Jesus Christ. It's more important for you to come to Christ than to attend church. Because attending church is sort of a, a religious ritual we do. But if you come here not for Jesus Christ, not because you want to hear about him, not because you want to draw closer to him, why come at all? But if he's the reason that you're here, if he's the reason you're seeking, then it can change everything. I love sharing Jesus with others and seeing the power of God working in it. He brings about the truth and the conviction and the change of hearts. He convinces us that we don't need more evidence than other than he is speaking to us. The power of conviction from the Holy Spirit is powerful and it convinces us to believe and then act in faith. The power is right here. It's with us right now as I talk about Jesus Christ. It's in this room and it's any place where the cross of Christ is proclaimed. And this is the beginning of what we call an awakening, a spiritual awakening within us. So that your faith, Paul says, would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Verse 6 goes on to say this, Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are, we do speak, I'm sorry, Yet we do speak wisdom amongst those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the ruler of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom, a mystery, the hidden wisdom which predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eyes have not seen, nor ears have not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For us to understand what the cross of Christ 
and what he did dying on that cross for us, we need to see beyond the limited range of history, facts, or philosophies. These lead us to the cross, which we are considering today, but they don't explain the mysterious meaning of the cross. There is a mystery behind the evidence, and it is a question of motive and who the real players are in this murder. Because the cross is really a murder. Did you know that? An innocent man was killed on that cross. I say murder because the death of Jesus was the greatest murder of all time. Where a pure and righteous man was framed and executed by a mob when they all knew this was wrong, they all knew it was unjust, and even the centurion at the foot of the cross said so. The mystery involves questions like this. Who was the victim? Who was this Jesus Christ? And why did the mob hate him so much? And who pulled the strings and manipulated the mob to carry out this murder? And who stood to benefit from the death of this innocent man? In order to understand these mysteries, these are the questions that we often ask. The best minds in the world have worked on this cold case that's over 2,000 years old, trying to figure out the who's and the wows and the guilt of it. And we're still, there is a mystery buried into this murder. Most people who still believe that Jesus Christ was a good man who walked around, we still believe he did good. We believe that he was a great teacher and he's taught a lot of wonderful things and he certainly didn't deserve to die upon the cross. If you believe that idea, which most people do, even of other religions, then you still have a mystery on your hands as to why he was murdered. The reading of this case and the evidence always points to a conspiracy and it goes deep into religion and government against Jesus Christ. Yet, if you're looking beyond the evidence and the mob that's yelling, crucify him, then you will find Jewish religious authorities who are whipping up the mob and they're doing it with false charges and lies that are levied at him when he stands before the Sanhedrin and the charges are laid. They wanted this Jesus dead. And they wanted him dead at the hands of a jeering mob that was yelling, crucify him, and the hands of ruthless Roman soldiers and their authorities. And what did the Sanhedrin hope to gain working with their hated enemies in Rome? To kill an innocent man, which is a very unlikely partnership, but that's where they were. If you look into their hearts, what you will see in the, fear of the, in the heart of the Sanhedrin was fear. They were afraid. They were frightened. Their very religious religion and their power over people was crumbling away. And they knew that if Jesus kept on going as he was, they would uh, lose all power. They feared that Jesus Christ so much that they acted in an irrational way. To have a mob demand a murder as the rule of Roman law looked the other way. The mysterious Fear of a peace-loving, kind, gentle Jesus Christ did not come from his actions. It came from another source. What gave him this irrational fear? The passage we just read talks about rulers of this age. 
This is the language we used in other writings of Paul. You'll find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And further in Ephesians 2, 2, he says, In which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So when he talks to rulers of this age, this dark age that we're in, he is often referring to Satan himself, to evil itself. There is a spiritual forces around you. They're not all benevolent and kind. There is evil in this world. And evil is afraid of Jesus Christ. It is afraid when he is proclaimed, when he's teach, when the cross is proclaimed, evil is afraid. This is where we follow the evidence and we perceive what we can't see with the forensic eyes of history. We must enter the realm of spiritual profiling. You ever hear of profiling? So without knowing who the murderer is, you compile a profile. What kind of character he is? Who would want this gentle, kind, loving, and holy man dead? And as we build the profile, we begin to understand from the angry mob, from the fearful Pharisees, from the manipulated governments of Rome, that there is a shadowy figure behind it all who hides from detection. But the profile of evil gives him away. We know this character that's in the shadow is a liar. He's a slanderer. He's a murderer at heart. The source of his crime lies with the forces of evil in this world that hates God and all he created. The leader of this crime syndicate himself is Satan, and he's still working in this world today. If Satan and all his demons of hell are ready to and really understood what God intended to do through Jesus Christ, Paul says, they would never have crucified him. Because what God accomplished upon the cross was the very thing they feared. That he would set the captive free. That he would break the power of sin over all of humanity. That he would open the gates of heaven and people would move from control and children of Satan to children of God. Satan did not want Jesus Christ to usher in the kingdom of God. And they said, if we let this Jesus keep walking the face of the earth and raising the dead and proclaim the good news, people will turn to him. And before you know it, everyone will be following him. How do I know he was thinking that? Because in John 12, 19, it says this. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're, doing, you're not doing any good. Look. The world has gone after him, Jesus Christ. If we don't stop him by killing him through murder, he'll win. They thought this was their last desperate hope. Satan was afraid of losing control of this world, and he put that fear in the heart of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He could only see one solution, and it was his favorite solution. Death. Killing works well for evil. And it seems to be his final argument. Anything against God can create, Satan thinks he can kill. Death is 
evil's answer to all God's desire. If Satan had known that God would raise Jesus Christ from the grave on the third day, breaking the power of death, opening the door to anyone who repents of their sins, and receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior to be born again, he would never incited the crowd to murder Jesus Christ. He would have found another way. Hate binds us. It creates within us a heart of a murderer. The only way to look upon Jesus Christ dying on the cross and understand what's really going on is to understand the love of God for us. Those who love God understand. They look at what that Christ hanging on the cross and they weep and then they rejoice at the sight of the cross. Paul says this, things which eyes have not seen nor ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, didn't even enter our brain to think of it, all that has God has prepared for those who love him. The way you understand the cross is by loving God. Let's pick it up at 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to start at 10 now. For to us, God revealed from the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men know the thoughts of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Holy Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. At the foot of the cross of Christ, we begin our transformation from people who look at the surface of things, the shallowness of those things, just as the way they appear without understanding the full depth of the hidden things behind the surface. Into the spiritually aware person, we look behind what is there. There are people running about saying they're enlightened and they're spiritual and they're aware because they have had a spiritual experience. If you try to step beyond the shallow borders of your experience of this physical world in the spiritual realm. And you might do it through mysticism and magic and maybe native spiritualism or worshiping a tree or something like that. If you do it any other way other than through the cross of Christ, you are in total danger. You may have a spiritual experience, but I'm going to tell you something you should know in your heart. And as soon as I tell you, you would know, yeah, that's probably true. Not everything in the spiritual realm is nice. Not everything is benevolent. There are dangers waiting for you when you open yourself to the spiritual world. Severe dangers and threats to your very life and the way you think. There are things on the other side that you enter the spiritual world that can drive you insane and do things you would never do otherwise. There's only one safe way to begin to be a spiritual person and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ warns us of the dangers of evil because when we look at the cross, we can see the evidence of the danger of evil in this world. 
and how it is murderous and wants to stamp out what is good. If you think it is a wonderful and peaceful world of enlightenment, you'll be manipulated and used by evil forces that do not have your best interests in mind. All that evil wants for you are two things. They want you to curse God and die. Did you know that? That's all it wants. Everything it does is to get you to that place. Spirits may appear friendly but have evil purpose, even as people are in the natural world. Does everyone you meet with a smile looking out for your good? No. Not every promise made by a politician is a trusted promise. Not every salesman is telling you the full story, especially about the special rate on credit cards today. Why would it be any different in the spiritual realm? Well, when you repent of your sins, when you come to Christ first, and you enter that realm through the Holy Spirit, you're entering the best way, the safest way. And why would I say that? Because when you repent of your sins at the foot of the cross, you recognize what Jesus did for you on that cross, bearing the weight of your sin. When you make him Lord and Savior, then he does a remarkable thing. He takes the Holy Spirit and he puts it inside of you. There is a trinity, the Father, God, Son, Jesus Christ. And then there is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God. And it tells us that when we receive Christ, we are born again by that Holy Spirit being placed within us. It is the very power of God himself. And that is your only hope, your only salvation, and your only protection against the other forces of evil in this world. He is the only one who will bring you alive spiritually and connect you to God himself rather than some deceiving spirit. He is your lifeline to heaven, the very power of God to deliver you. And that is what is meant in the scriptures when he says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You must go beyond yourself, enter the spiritual world, but you can only do it through the cross of Christ. To love God and to be loved by God is the key to understanding God. Could I make it any simpler? If it isn't for love, you will not understand him. If you try to understand him by philosophy, you'll miss it. Or by theology. Or by signs and wonders, you'll miss it. To understand God is to love God and to know his love for you. The only way you enter that kind of a spiritual experience, this love of God, is through repentance to Jesus Christ. And that opens the door. It is here you realize just how much you owe Jesus Christ and Father God who sent him to rescue from the power of hell. Without this, the cross, Jesus Christ, and even Father God will not make any sense to you at all. With this understanding of Jesus Christ crucified for you because of the love of God, you'll begin to unlock many mysteries of this murder that took place. And they've been hidden from you for a long time until you embrace the love of God. If you're still confused, you may still be in the dark about this. You may not have grasped the glory of Jesus Christ crucified upon a cross. And this is the mark of what we call a natural person, who is not born again. 
For if you're not born again, you're natural. You're just, you know, I hear a lot of things that natural is good. Natural cornflakes, natural chicken, natural stuff. I'm looking for all natural stuff, and I pay three times the price to get natural things. So everything natural is good. Did you know that strychnine is natural? Right? Not everything natural is good for you, right? There are some things that are natural that are not good for you. And the natural man is not able to understand the things of God. So if you chase nature and everything, unless you go beyond what you see, you will not understand the spiritual world unless you understand the love of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, uh, 14 says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or understood. But he who is spiritually appraised or understands things spiritually, yet he himself is not appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you're born again, you have the very thoughts of Christ within you. Jesus Christ warns us that a natural man cannot understand or accept the great spiritual reality of what we're telling you today. He just can't grasp it. He came to What he came to do upon the cross will be always a mystery to the natural man. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to understand, you must be born again. You must come and accept the love of God and repent. If you are religious, you cannot understand the mystery of the cross and of Jesus Christ. Only by faith in Jesus Christ can you really understand the new birth what the spiritual kingdom of God is and what he is doing. If you are religious, you are a natural man. Because almost everyone is religious. Did you know that? Now we have different religions. You might be a Greenpeace religious person. You might be a communist religious person. You might be even an atheist religious person. But we all have codes or rituals or ways of thinking that are set in us in with a religious attitude that we follow in our behavior and who we are. Religion is in our behavior, no matter what belief system you have, is the most natural thing about us. It's what we do all the time. But it's not spiritual. It isn't entering the realm of faith. Those who are born again are set free from the limits of science and religion and of philosophy into the kingdom of God. And that is why Jesus Christ came to die upon the cross. Jesus described it this way as we find it in John 3:16 on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be made manifest as having been wrought in God. You cannot stand before the cross of Christ and know what Jesus Christ did there if you don't come with a love for God. You must either repent of your sins and be saved by the new birth, or you have to walk away and grow in your hate of God. But you can't find a neutral ground at the cross. You either understand the love of God seen by the sacrifice and by the death of Jesus Christ, or you walk away nurturing a hate and a grudge against God like all other natural people do. You cannot serve two masters, and there are only two with who, who will rule your thoughts and the way you think. It's either Satan or Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And that's what the cross does. It asks you to choose. A part of you, that part that is being reached right now by the Holy Spirit as you hear the words about the cross and Jesus Christ, that part is telling you that this is right and it's true. There is a part that is asking you to change and make a step of faith and to believe in this and act on it. And another part of you is telling you this is all nonsense and you are perfectly fine and there's nothing wrong. This is the part that is asking you not to change, to just keep on doing what you've always been doing. But you and I both know that anything apart from faith in Jesus Christ is not working for you and it's not producing the results. All it's giving you is a slow spiritual death. For whatever is not from faith is sin, it says in Romans 14, 23. So now is your chance while you hear the Holy Spirit speaking, to come before Jesus Christ and to confess, ask for forgiveness and to be washed clean of guilt and judgment. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be born again. You'll begin to step into the kingdom of God and understand spiritual realities that you never understood before. You can come and know Jesus Christ and the love of Father God. The question is, will you come to him? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, and we're going to say a prayer. There might have been a lot of things that you have considered in your life as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that you've been good enough, you're no worse than anybody else, you tried to do what is right, and you hope that that's good enough for God. Although God appreciates your effort, what he's really looking for is honesty. What he's not looking for is for you to do it because he's already done it in the cross for you. What he's looking for is for you to come clean, to admit what you already know, to confess what cannot be hidden. And Lord, as we come to you to this day, we are praying this prayer with our hearts. And I ask that every person that joins me in this prayer, Lord, that you would move with your power upon them, even if 
they're listening to this on the internet or recording later on. Lord, I just pray that you would meet them right now. For I believe it is the power of the Holy Spirit that is prompting them to agree with this prayer we're about to pray. And Lord, this is the prayer that I still is the cry of my heart too. Father, forgive me for all that I have done, for how I have despised you, how I've turned away from you, how I have not loved you like I should have. Lord, I have been blind, I've been ignorant, and I have been lost. Lord, forgive me for all that I have knowingly done and unknowingly done, for all the mistakes I have ever made. Jesus, forgive me because you bore the, my price of that guilt upon the cross. You died because of me. I accept that and I receive that in your name. And I receive what motivated you to do that, your love for me. I receive that in your name. And I ask you to not just save me from the guilt and the shame of my sin and set me free, but I ask you, O oh God, to be Lord of my life to take charge because I'm not running it very well on my own. I ask you to take charge. Put your Holy Spirit in me that I might be born again, that it might rule and have its dominion over me, that it might open my eyes and my heart to the realm of the kingdom of God as a child of God, born of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Lord, awaken me as a child of God. And receive me into your kingdom now and forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for everyone who has prayed that prayer. I thank you for everyone who has received you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that this message of those who know it in their hearts, that believe it and live it every day, that they would be bold to speak about Jesus and about the cross wherever they are, at school, at work, at Tim Hortons, helping someone out of a ditch on the way home, wherever they are, that they might speak of this Jesus. For wherever that cross is lifted up, for wherever Jesus is proclaimed, there the power of God is. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. Have a safe journey home. If you're nervous, I understand there's lasagna from Gospel Pickens. All you have to do is join in. God bless you all. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.